I'm so excited that you are here on this day. I want to welcome those of you who are online. I want to welcome Otis and Barker Lateria. You here tonight? Oh, um, all right. You know, I, I get it. You know, Barker, are you here tonight? Okay, there you go. Just a little bit more excited to be here. We're in the second week of our series of What Made Jesus Mad. And as I mentioned last week, for those of you guys, you know, who want to go a little bit deeper, a deeper dive with this, there is a book that my friend wrote called What Made Jesus Mad? And he's a pastor in Chicago, and he's just got some great words that uh, are helpful for us as if we, want, if we want to go deeper with this. Or you might consider grabbing a friend or multiple friends and doing the YouVersion Bible app. There's 10 Bible studies that you can go through uh, with somebody else during this season. Now, before we jump in, I, I got a few things I want to share before we hit our topic tonight. Uh, for those of you online, once again, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time, you know, out of your schedule and to stay connected. Because I know that many of you, based on distance, based on caring for those uh, who are elderly or you yourself might be compromised by our immunity system, that you have kind of hunkered down, but you have stayed connected. And for that, I want to thank you. For those of you who are just watching based on a routine, a habit, convenience, uh, your kids and you, you're out doing things, but you're still kind of watching, you know, online, I just want to encourage you for your sake, because this habit isn't sustainable long term if this is your primary way to connect with God. I want to encourage you to come on site, whether it be at Otis or at Barker, that you would make the effort. Maybe, maybe you'll circle Easter as the starting point to you coming back on site if for no other reason, for the reason that you're watching, is based on your comfort or convenience. Uh, next thing I want to mention is uh, most of you uh, this week have or will receive money from the government. I mean, woo, free money. You didn't do anything to get it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Some of you didn't even ask for it. And the very minimum, most of you are going to get $1,400. Family of four, it's like $5,400, you know, or $5,600, you know, that you're going to get in your account for no other reason than the government of the United States saying, we love you. And so with that, I want to remind you of the opportunity that you have as you've received money that you didn't even ask for to make sure that God is still first. That at the very least you say, you know what, God, I didn't ask for this. I didn't, I didn't uh, request this, but it came to me. Thank you, Lord, that you provided this way, and I want to give back a portion of what you've given to me. In fact, uh, I'm going to give you a little teaser. A couple of weeks from now, right after Easter, we're going to be announcing um, some expansion ideas, and we're going to take an offering on Mother's Day to kind of get us started with what we believe that God is calling us to do. And so maybe you want to reserve some of that for that opportunity. Lastly, Otis, I just want to speak to you for just a second. This is the last time that I get a chance to speak to you, to preach to you as your official lead pastor. Uh, as starting next week, you know, Holland will be speaking. We'll have somebody else here. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the journey of allowing me to be your lead pastor. Thank you for entrusting some of the spiritual oversight and responsibility that's given to myself as well as Valley Real Life. And as Real Life Otis kicks off the, on the ground in just a couple weeks, my heart is that you would support and pray daily and regularly for Holland and Dana. As Holland enters into this new season of something he's never experienced before, that you would just surround him in love and prayer and support. And that Otis, you would be known as a church that is compassionate towards the community, that you would reach the community one person at a time, and that you would be and make disciples for him. 
And so we're proud of you, we're excited for you, and our partnership will continue. It's just gonna be a little bit different moving forward. So with that being said, you know, uh, one last thing for those of you who are here at Barker or watching online, plan to be here. Next week, we have a, a guest speaker. He's coming back. His name is John Moten. And so John's coming back. If you had a chance, yeah, we can give it up for John. John did a great job, uh, but I think we're at about 25% capacity on site, you know, when we did that. So he's going to be surprised when he comes back next week. And so invite your friends, come back in the building. He'll be, you know, online as well. And so with that being said, let's pray as we kick off this day. Jesus, thank you so much for leading, guiding, directing. Thank you for providing, you know, resources uh, beyond our control. Uh, may we be wise, you know, with what you're providing, and may we give thanks and put you first. Father, thank you for the opportunities that are before us, and we look forward right now, whether we're watching online or at Otis or here at Barker, that we would just be present. Help our minds to be attuned, our hearts to be focused on what you would have for us and maybe what you would have from us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So let's go back to the question we started with last week. What makes you mad? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the person next to you what makes you mad. I'm going to hear some of the responses. If you're online, put it in the chat. Otis, do the same thing now. So we're going to give you about 20 seconds. So go ahead and do that now. All right, let's, let's start with this section. And I know some of you guys are watching online. You go, go ahead again, keep putting it in the chat. What makes you mad? Just one person. What's one person? What makes you mad? Laziness. Laziness. Okay, so now we're going to this section. You know, Otis, go ahead and yell out wherever you're, out, wherever you're at as well. But what, make, what makes you mad? One person. <laughs> Pedophiles. Absolutely. <laughs> what makes you guys mad? What's one thing that makes you guys mad? When your wife tells you what to do all the time. <laughs> totally get it. As you're getting beat right now, you know, for your answer. That is my favorite response right there. <laughs> now, again, here's the thing in this series. What we want to ask ourselves as we look to our lives is, are the things that make us mad the same things that made Jesus mad? And if they don't line up, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, why not? And shouldn't it? You know, isn't that the whole point? We're supposed to conform to the image of Christ, and there are things that made Jesus mad, and we want to reflect with the things that make us mad to see if it lines up. So let's go again. What makes Jesus mad? And we said overall, here's the overriding issue. It's people who deny or hinder access to God. It's people who deny or hinder access to God. If you want to look at all the Bible, especially in the New Testament, with Jesus' life, people, and look at the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, people who would hinder the message or the access or the connection or the growth to God is what made him mad. In fact, four ways that we see this played out amongst people. The first is legalism, judgmentalism, hypocrisy, and indifference to suffering. And last week we talked about legalism. Last week we kind of focused on knowing that all four of these are combined together. But as we talk about legalism, a legalist would say, I earn my righteousness, my connection with God based on what I do, based on what I do. And so a legalist tries as hard as they can to earn right standing with God based on what they do. The problem is it's lived by a religion instead of a relationship, and it's so easy for it to then lead to judgmentalism. And that's what we talked a lot about last week. Now, 
Last week, there was a lot of confusion. I got some email responses, both on-site and some conversations, uh, I mean, on-site and some emails from online. And and here was the conversation, because I I was giving some examples in our own culture today of what legalism looked like. And what I want to remind you is legalism is here's God's law and here's God's command, right? God's law and here's God's command. Here would be one example is don't worship Satan, Okay, that'd probably be a thing not to do. So what we do is we have a tendency to pull the line back here, and we have an interpretation of that. And some of us would say, well, I don't support or I don't participate in Halloween because it has a a, a satanic start or a beginning to it. So if I dress up my kids in little fairy outfits and they go door to door and get candy, they're participating in satanic stuff. Right? And you're like, no, that's this line. The legalist is back here. Now, here's what I didn't say that you need to hear. If you choose not to support Halloween in any way, shape, or form, praise God. There's nothing wrong with that. When we become a legalist is when we say, my view of this specific event should be your view of this specific event. And if your view doesn't match up with my view, then you're not a good Christian. That's where the legalism comes from. It was the same thing when when I mentioned drinking. The reason reason I'm laughing about the drinking part is uh, because God says right here, here's the line, don't get drunk. And so I was making the statement that, hey, it's okay, it's permissible, you know, to, to actually drink. But what some people say, they bring the line back here and says, you're not a good Christian if you drink. Now, some people said, well, Dan, are you encouraging all of us to drink? Absolutely. No, I'm not encouraging... All of you to drink? That wasn't the point. The point was, because you might choose, like, Dan, if I don't drink, am I, am I then the opposite? Absolutely not, right? If you have, you know, a chemical dependency issues or it's a conscience issue, then you're standing and saying, I'm not going to choose to drink. It's totally awesome. Here's the line. is when you look at other Christians and say, because you drink and I choose not to drink, you're less of a Christian. That makes you a legalist. Does that kind of make sense? And here's the point, because this got missed last week. Romans 14, okay? Read Romans 14, then shoot me some more emails. Let's have some more conversations as it pertains to this, as it pertains to eating and drinking and days that we honor and don't honor, because Paul makes it clear as it pertains to legalism. Okay, now, in our short time that we have left, legalism made Jesus mad, which leads to judgmentalism. The second thing that prevents people from connecting to God that's intertwined in legalism is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrites make Jesus mad. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Jesus turned to his disciples and he warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. He says, beware of what it is, because, you know, yeast that goes through all through the dough as it allows it to rise. Make sure it's good, it's healthy, it's good for you, yeast. Otherwise, you might find yourselves on the outside looking in. So let me start, and let me remind you of this. Who is not a hypocrite? Someone who is not a hypocrite is someone who makes mistakes. Here's the problem in our culture today is that anybody that we see that makes a mistake, that does something contrary to what they have said or done, we instantly point the finger and we say, you are a hypocrite. That's just not true. Because if that was true, everybody's hypocritical in everything all the time. 
Let me give you a couple examples. Do you think you're a good mom? Have you ever blown it one time as a mom? Hypocrite! How dare you think that you are a good mom because you don't live up to the standard in which that you seem to profess as a good mom because that one thing you said, that one thing you did, how dare you, you hypocrite. Right? Somebody caught you on a bad day? Uh, for some of you who, who think you're a good coach, you ever disciplined a player maybe a little too much? Yelled at them a little too often? Hypocrite! What is wrong with you? I thought you said you were a good coach. How dare you cross the line in that instance? Think you're a good businessman, have morals and ethics? You ever tried to push the line even one time in your entire business career? Hypocrite! See how this goes? And it doesn't work. And yet we live in a society that says if we can catch someone doing something wrong or counter to the way that they're trying to live or perceive, here's what we do. We point out the offense. We then give them the intent. I know the reason you did it, so I'm going to give you a label. We give them a judge, and then we cancel them. That's where our culture is going. All we're going to do is find one person. You're not being a hypocrite in that, in that moment, you're being hypocritical, but you're not labeled a hypocrite unless it's consistent of character. You're being what's called human. You and I live this way. We're not perfect along those lines. So let me tell you what the Bible says a hypocrite truly is. Here is the biblical definition of a hypocrite is one who wears a mask or is a stage actor. That's what that word, uh, hypocrito, that we find in the Greek, it's actually one who performs on stage. It's a consistency of character. It's saying one thing consistently, but living a completely different life. It's standing on this stage and saying, look at me, I'm Dan Shields, and I'm a Christian, and then walking out the door and having nothing to do with Christianity. Me telling you what you should do, but me not trying to live up to the very thing that I'm trying to tell you to do, that is a person who is a hypocrite. We desire the appeal and the applause of other people, so we act one way in one group of people and one way in another, and we thought that ended in high school. All right, how easy it is for us to conform to the friends or the people around us, but then we go home and we're a completely different person. See, in Matthew 23, Jesus mentions this word six to seven times concerning the religious leaders of the day called Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. Let me just tell you overall what he says. Matthew 23, 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and the disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees who are official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. That's hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. Verse 5, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear robes with extra long tassels. They have what's called in Jesus' day and beyond phylacteries. And the phylacteries were these small leather boxes with tiny scrolls of scripture on them tied to the arm and tied to the head. And you might notice, if you can see the screen, if you can see it online, I'm not sure how close it can get, but it says that they would take it off after morning prayer. In Jesus' day, they oftentimes would wear it all day long. And what are they saying? Look at me. Look how awesome I am. But Jesus, unfortunately, or fortunately, knows their heart. 
and knows that what's on the inside does not match what they're portraying on the outside. It's almost as if they're acting on a stage so that when they're outside the public eye, they live a completely different life. That's the issue that's making Jesus mad because then they put that onto other people's, that in which they are not even conforming to themselves, which makes him mad. Now, we do this in our lives as well. Okay, we need to own up a little bit. Uh, Parents, this one's gonna hurt. How many times have you asked your kids to listen to what you're saying? How many times have you said, would you please listen when I'm talking to you? Okay, raise your hand if you've done that in the room. Otis, raise your hand. Put it in the chat if you've ever done this. Parents, how many times have your kids tried to get your attention, but you happen to be on something like this over and over and over again? And they're like, mom, 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 mom. Dad, 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 what? See, what we're doing is do what I say, but don't do what I do. See, and here's the thing about kids, and I hate it. They become more who we are than ever what we say. We can say it till we're blue in the face, but they see behind the veil, they see behind the curtain, and they model who we are. So not in perfection, but are we trying to live as the way that God has called us to live? Now, hypocrisy, usually born out of legalism, leads, once again, it's all intertwined, to judgmentalism and an indifference to suffering. Uh, Let let me give you a reminder of this. It's, It's called the Sabbath. Okay, the Sabbath was made by God as a day of rest. Now, many of us don't realize the day of rest only truly can happen when we bring God into the day of rest. It's not like going on vacation, because sometimes you go on vacation and coming back more tired than when you left. But a day of rest is supposed to happen once every seven days as a rhythm that God's gift to us that we might be able to connect with him. Why did he do this? Because he knows our propensity to work and that we would literally work ourselves to death. So he encourages us to celebrate this thing called the Sabbath. So what do the religious leaders do? They take the Sabbath and they go to an nth degree, something that they themselves could not even live up to. Because somewhere there was a lawyer involved. I'm convinced of this. Because somebody asked, what does rest really mean? Let's define what work is. Is work, how many steps can I take on this day? How many times can I go to the well to get water? How many times can I use my arms? So some lawyer was involved trying to help them figure out the legality of what it was, and they're missing the entire thing, and they're becoming hypocritical because they'll never be able to match up to this. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or his left hand across his chest or his shoulders, but he could carry something with the back of his hand with his foot, an elbow, an ear, or the hair, or the hem of his shirt, or in the shoe of his sandal. What? That was one of the ways that they were saying that's allowed, but the other stuff is work, and you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Or, for ladies, it was forbidden, you could not tie a knot. You could not tie a knot on the Sabbath. Except a woman could tie a knot in her girdle. I don't even know what that means, or how you even do that. 
So if a bucket of water had to be raised from a well, one could not tie a rope to the bucket, but a woman could tie her girdle to the bucket and then to the rope. (laughs) This is real stuff, people. This is exactly what they did. That is legalism, right? That's legalism at its best. And let me show you how it became hypocritical. In Matthew 12, verse 9, Jesus hits this straight on, because he knows all of these things are out there. In Matthew 12, verse 9, he says, Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping that he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is the person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. See, the religious leaders had made one of these crazy excuses that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath, but if your livelihood or a sheep fell into a ditch, you could actually pull the sheep out. So then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held his hand out, and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. That was it for them. They're saying he is pressing in way too hard on our legalistic, on our hypocritical, we have got to take care of this guy. Or how about this story? Right? As Jesus was teaching, they found a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And they threw her before Jesus. And they said, the law of Moses commands us to stone this woman. And they had stones in their hands ready to be able to kill the woman. Couple questions. Where's the dude? Right? As far as I know, it takes two to commit adultery. But he's nowhere to be seen. So she's obviously been targeted, targeted in that culture, you know, targeted by a lot of the rules and the pharisaical attitudes towards women in that culture, throws it out before Jesus and says, all right, here's what it is. What are you going to say, Jesus? Here's what's going to happen. And it's the one time that we see Jesus write. We just don't know what he wrote. But we do know that he reached down and he started writing things into the sand. They pressed him further. He just kept writing. Starting from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones and they walked away. What we probably understand that he's writing is he's writing different sins related to the crowd who's about ready to stone him. Hypocritical. And he says, he who is without sin may cast the first stone. And he continues to write. He was without sin until there's nobody left but him and the woman. And he leans down towards her and he says, where are your accusers? And she looks up at him, nowhere, Lord. And he looks at her and you can imagine the love in his eyes. Neither do I condemn you or accuse you, but go and sin no more. One of the most beautiful pictures of grace and truth in action. See, this is what it's about. See, how do we deal 
with the tendency that you and I even have to embrace legalism that could lead to hypocrisy that actually hurts other people's connection with God. Here's a woman that's about ready to be stoned, and Jesus says, no, there's something valuable and better that I have in store for her that you guys cannot take away from her. They wanted to look through the eyes of a legalist. They were hypocritical, saying our sins are not nearly as bad as her sin, so let's make sure that we can cast a judgment on someone who's not yet connected to God. See, here's the thing. Real Vulnerable relationships with Jesus and others is what kills hypocrisy. It'll wipe it away. See, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. All of us need Jesus. Jesus even said, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. We are all equal before God for a need for Jesus in our real lives. So let's stop pretending to be someone that we're not. Let me give you an example. I was a sinner in need of a savior. I am now a righteous person who still struggles with sin. God sees me differently, and I can walk in that faith, but it doesn't make me any better than anybody else who's not yet received that. See, heart transformation over behavior modification is what will set us free. That's worth retreating, by the way. Share that. See, Matthew 15 says this. Don't you understand yet, Jesus said? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. You never thought Jesus talked about poop, did you? (laughs) Evidence, proof that Jesus can relate to middle school students. Okay. But the words that you speak come from the heart. That's actually what defiles you, not what comes out of your body. For from the heart comes evil desires and thoughts, murders, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. How we appear on the outside is hugely irrelevant to who we are on the inside. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth actually speaks. Now, does Jesus, do we care about sin? Absolutely. But you deal with sin by dealing with your heart, not by behavior modification, because behavior modification doesn't last. It doesn't last. If you have to have it be born from within, that you need Jesus' help from within to come inside and cleanse us from the inside out to be able to live in and for him. In fact, Romans 7 tells it this way. There is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. That's the reality, that's honesty, that's vulnerability, that's transparency. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. See, sharing our life and sinful struggles and not keeping it isolated ourselves is a key. See, we call sin a sin. See, one of the dangers that we live, even in the Christianity today, is when we begin to compartmentalize, justify, rationalize, or even say what is a sin is not a sin just to make us feel better, then we start living a hypocritical life. We need to say, God, I need you. And there's a three-part process to this. It first starts with confession. God, I screwed up again. God, I'm headed in this direction, and now I'm going to repent, and I'm going to choose to go in a different direction. God, thank you 
that you are cleaning me and I embrace you once again. Your mercies are new every morning. And then thirdly, we need to share it with others. You tell other people on this journey of faith, hear the struggles that I have and watch how God works in our heart when we expose it to the light in relationship with others. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, we journey together in grace. We call this valley real life for a reason. Some of my favorite ministries here are genuine, Christ-centered life groups where people get together and they begin to open up and share what's going on with themselves with Jesus at the center, being transparent, vulnerable. All y'all are screw-ups. Admit it. And I'm chief among you. And I'm your pastor. Okay? All of us are on this same journey. My struggles in sin may be different than your struggles in sin. The key is that we keep struggling in our sin as we go on this journey together to overcome our sin. That's why one of my favorite other ministries is our CR night, which is on Monday or even Tuesday night. It's so great because you get to come and be open and say, you know what, my name is Dan and I am struggling with a hurt, habit, or hang up. I am struggling with a sin that is easily entangling my life and I need to tell somebody else because I need to walk a journey of faith so that my heart can be transformed, transformed, transformed in the context of community. That's what we've got to do. See, where do you find yourself living as a hypocrite? Where do you find yourself Pretending to be someone you are not. Someone you are not. There's an opportunity to stop carrying around. It's exhausting to play that acting role. To come into church, pretending to be that we're someone that we're not. And God says, I already know you and I love you anyway. Come as you are and let's go on this journey together. Lastly, who is the one? I told you the thing that makes Jesus mad the most is when people are hindering relationship with God. So as we approach Easter, just two weeks from tonight, it's our first Easter service online and on site. And at Otis, I know you're going to be doing something similar as well. Who's the one person that God is calling you to invite? And Otis, you better be packed out, man. I better hear hundreds and hundreds as you launch Real Life Otis. For those of you online and those of you here at Barker, you heard me say it earlier. You have a chance to invite anybody in the world. Anybody. That's crazy to think about, to attend what God may be saying to them to change their lives for all eternity. May we be a people that lives in that grace and truth, that fights against legalism and hypocrisy because it leads to judgmentalism and you notice an indifference to suffering. Who was suffering? The guy with the arm that needed to be healed, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. You can't see past the legalism and the hypocrisy in order to love the way Jesus has called us to love. Let's be that church. Let's continue to be the people that God has called us to be in our real lives, knowing you're going to make mistakes. It does in that moment make you hypocritical, but it doesn't make you a hypocrite. It doesn't make any sense. Continue to live in faith with him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to love, to serve, and to come alongside. I pray that you would just guide our time, that you would allow us to sense and to see where it is that we might be living a double life, pretending to be something that we're not. Help us to confess that to you right now. 
and to let other people know about it as well. We love you so much. Thank you for knowing everything about us, Lord, and loving us anyway. I just can't believe it sometimes. And you still chose to die for me and for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.